a world filled with fast-paced living and constant demands on the aging body, it's easy to forget some of the simplest yet most essential elements of our well-being, hydration and nutrients. As you know, when I'm not in the studio recording a podcast or in the gym or out in the scrub hunting, putting rounds downrange, I'm somewhere in the world on a security gig, putting in the hard yards, ending up on TikTok. So legends that get some, keep me advancing forward, Jocko Fuel Supplements. More specifically, I've been smashing the Jocko Hydrate Sachets, which helps me replenish my electrolytes and other critical vitamins while boosting energy and supporting recovery. Also, just like my kids, my appetite for veggies goes as far as hot chips from the kernel. However, every morning I'll mix a scoop of Jocko Greens, Jocko Creatine into water, which helps me supplement my lack of and delivers all the nutrients for better gut health, immune support, cognitive function, and physical performance. And not to mention, tastes bloody good. So head over to www.getsome.com.au and use the code Zero Limits all in caps for a discount. I'll leave you with this for the day. Hard work, clean fuel, stronger, faster, smarter, better. Let's go. You're listening to a Zero Limits podcast brought to you by Two Ravens Tactical. Your hosts are Australian veterans, Matt and Shane, and we're here to give you the motivation to accomplish any goal you set your mind to. On these podcasts, we're going to be speaking to high-charging people with a zero-limit mindset that never say no. Let's go. On today's episode of Zero Limits Podcast, we have one of the nicest and humble humans you'll ever meet, Brad Thomas. He had a 20-year special operations career, eight years of Army Rangers, and then 12 years as a Tier 1 Delta Force operator who also deployed in multiple operations in Iraq and Afghanistan and fought in the Battle of Mogadishu, better known as Black Hawk Down, as an Army Ranger. And here he is, the man himself, Brad. How are you? What's going on, man? It's uh, good talking with both you guys. Yeah, no, we uh, definitely for, appreciate your time as well. Thanks for coming you know, on. Um, you, at the end of the day, you're, you're quite well known around the world. Uh, especially within the veteran community, uh, even here in Australia, mate. I've got a lot, a lot of mates that I've told that you're coming on and they're, they're quite excited, which is... It's, uh, it's pretty cool, man, to see how social media works and to see, you know, that the reach you can have. It's pretty amazing. And the thing, one of the things that I've been most blown away about is, you know, I'll get people from Italy that are hitting me up, people from Brazil, people in Australia. I mean, awesome. it's, it's truly global. It's not... You know, we think about it in our friends network on Facebook or whatever it might be, but you have such an amazing reach that people can hear about things that they would never get a chance to, you know, hear about or see. And it, I think it's incredible. Yeah, exactly. And you, you, you touch on two different parts of the world. So obviously, you know, the military life and then the the music life as well. Like they've got mates that just follow you just for your music and, you know, yeah. so which is which is awesome. It's a, it's a tough balancing act because, you know, part of our story that's marketable is the fact that we're taking proceeds from, you know, music royalties and we're giving them to veteran and first responder type of charitable organizations. And so that in itself is just a good story, you know, but, you know, it, it makes you always have to kind of be tied to your past life. And, you know, so if you were to ask me, like, what am I most excited about today? It's music stuff, because that's what I'm doing right now. Yeah. And it's like this constant. Yeah. But tell me about 1993. You know? <laughs> yeah. Tell me about you know, <laughs> what, what happened back then. And, and that's cool. I get it. You know, but I, I like talking about all of it. I don't mind talking about all of it because I understand that, you know, that's part of what makes us marketable as a band and, you know, on social media and things like that. 
Yeah, exactly. And as I said, you got you got the worldwide reach, which is which is, which is amazing. That's good. Yeah. But uh, all right, let's get started, Brad. Uh, you live in New York. You joined the Army in 91. Uh, tell us your life before joining the Army in 91. Yeah, and what led you to joining the military as well? Sure. It's uh, kind of a kind of a weird story. So I was playing. I actually joined in 90, but I, uh, I was playing music and grew up kind of, you know, very musically inclined and everything else. And somewhere in the, you know, early teens, I started reading books about, you know, Rangers in Vietnam and CIA guys in Vietnam and things like that. And it, and it was exciting to me and uh, read about, I think it was a story called Bat 21 that got turned into a movie that was about a pair of rescue men who jumped, you know, behind enemy lines and picked up a down pilot. And, you know, it just, that <laughs> sounded cool to me. And so I kind of had two things going on. I was trying to make music and, and make a career in that. And then also had this interest in military. And so in, uh, in December of 89, there were, there were three things that kind of happened all at the same time. One, uh, the invasion of Panama happened. Yep. And so there wasn't a whole lot. Um, you know, we didn't have Internet. We didn't have you know, cell phones. So there wasn't a ton of video. But there was some video live as it was happening. And, uh, you know, it was talking about the airborne rangers that jumped into these airfields and all that stuff. And so that kind of, you know, tricked my spidey senses and got me, you know, aroused <laughs> and, uh, and then had uh, band stuff, which was kind of falling apart, you know. And I had worked for the better part of like three or four years with kind of, you know, one drummer and then we'd get a new bass player and then he would fall out. We'd have to find another guy. It was just constant trying to find the right people. And, you know, so that was happening. And then the the trifecta was a buddy of mine had joined the Air Force and was home probably after he went to AIT um, on leave. And I got to talk to him and he told me about a group of recruiters that came to see him at the end of basic training. And they were trying to get guys to try out for what, what we know now is like, C, you know, CCT or yeah. CCT. And anyway, so he said, yeah, these group of guys came at the end and, and they were trying to get us to do something like jump in behind down, you know, behind enemy lines and rescue down pilots. And I was like, oh, that sounds cool. So that's really the spark that kind of lit the fuse. Yeah, right. That's that's an interesting like story too. Like it is. It, you wouldn't it, expect a person heavily involved in music to be that, that way inclined just to jump in and say, yeah, fuck you, yeah. you do it. But if uh, you can make it happen, I suppose, Brad, you can make it happen. So tell us about your first experience um, after you – oh, so when you joined, did you get uh, pro- did you get approached by the recruiter or did you go to them first and be like, hey, this is what I want to do? And then so, what happened? You know, in, in America, when you turn 18, you have to register for selective services. Oh, really? Which is kind of this goofy thing, but it's it's like the draft. Yeah, right. So if you're a male and you turn 18, you have to register and they – ask you about it on employment forms and things like that. So at 18 years of age, I registered for selective services. And what that does is like it triggers the uh, the recruiters from all services. They start calling you, you know. And so if you're not in college, they're like, hey, what do you want to do? You know? right. <laughs> and, and I would tell me these guys would call me and they'd be like, hey, you know, you could join the army. And I'd be like, no, dude, I'm playing music. And they're like, we have a band. We have a band in the army. I'm like, no, no, that ain't going to work. And uh, anyway, so so what happened was after, you know, 
the band kind of fell apart. Uh, I saw the Rangers, then my buddy, you know, kind of kind of led me down the path. I went to go see a recruiter, and that would have been, you know, in the spring of like 1990. And I I was getting the runaround. I went to go see the Air Force guy, not because I wanted to join the Air Force, but because that was the only thing that I had really heard about. And I didn't know anybody in the army. I didn't, you know, I didn't, nobody in my family was in the military or anything like that. So I went and talked with the air force recruiter and that's kind of how that started. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's just crazy that you go on straight into the Rangers as well. Like you didn't (laughs) join, you didn't become a cook or anything. You just went straight for the deep end, just straight into it, which is, which is admirable. Balls deep. Yeah. And even that, um, one of the reasons, you know, I went and talked with the air force guy and he was, he was lying to me and he was telling me <laughs> that he could get me a contract. And all I wanted was the guarantee to try. Right. I yeah. was, because I didn't know anything about the military. Um, I was concerned that I would get into basic training and they'd say, Oh, Hey, you know what? We need a cook in Alaska. <laughs> and they would send me to, you know, I didn't know anything about it. And so anyway, uh, I was leaving the recruiters one day and the army guy, you know, pulled me aside. He's like, yo, man, come, come on in here. And, uh, you know, what's he telling you? What's he trying to get you to do? And I said, well, he, he won't give me a contract. And he said, well, what do you want to do? And I said, I don't know, like Delta Force. <laughs> and he goes, whoa, okay. you, can't, you can't do that. You've got to do something first. Like special forces and i go okay i'll do that and he goes well you can't do that either you got to do something before that like a ranger and so all of that kind of clicked with the hey i remember seeing the rangers jumping into panama like i'll do that and so he they they were able to get me a ranger contract and uh and off i went you know a few months later yeah right how old were you red yeah how old was i yeah i was 21 Oh, you're still young, still, still young. fresh. Yeah. Did you? You didn't have? Yeah. Did you have any uh, family members that were in the military? No, uh, other than like way, way back. Yeah, right. So uh, it was literally just the commercials got you, and you joined the military. Yeah, I mean, it, it was really just kind of. It was probably due to the interest in like the books that I was reading and yeah, stuff yeah, like gotcha. that. You know, that what was were, probably more than anything. What were your parents like about it, Brad? Were they are they sort of more an academic type? Um, Dad and mum, or they saw the happy happy for you to join, or they like Jesus Christ, Brad. <laughs> I I think they were at the point, you know. I I think they were disappointed in me just in general. <laughs> they didn't act that okay. way. They were super cool, but yeah. uh, my dad my dad was doctor, you know, yeah. and my mother was an English teacher, and they were all you know very proper and things like that. And I was always kind of wild and you know risk taking yeah, and yeah. You know, doing things much earlier than, you know, most kids were doing things and got into not like drugs heavily or anything, but, you know, I like partying and doing stuff like that. And even though I wasn't allowed, I would just kind of do whatever I wanted. Yeah. And so I think they were ready for me to, to figure it out. At the same time, I know that they had, you know, they had an idea of what they wanted me to do. And it definitely wasn't just joining the army at 21. <laughs> You're not, not that you just join the army, you join the Army Rangers, which is is pretty pretty heavy. Yeah, it's I, pretty nuts. Could you? I think, I think my dad felt a sense of pride, you know, back then. I 100%. know that he felt, you know, kind of a sense of pride over it. And once I made the decision, they were on board, and they're, you know, they're my biggest fans now. So, you know, awesome. there's no no drama, and I put them through a lot of worry. 
Yeah. Could you uh, give us a brief rundown on uh, range of training and the du- yeah, duration and whereabouts it is? Yeah, because, you know, guys here in Australia, we don't really, you know, we, we what we see about we the rangers or what we see about Delta and Navy SEALs is always just in the movies. That's all. That's Steve majority Seagal. people just know about the movies. That's it. Stephen Seagal and <laughs> all those types of people. It's exactly Casey like the back. movies. It's, it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, um, so when uh, when I got a ranger contract, I got an infantry MOS. So I was 11 Bravo. Um, and they kind of break things down by MOS, you know, where you go to basic training and, you know, you could have communicators or you could have uh, medics or things like that that all end up in the Rangers. But I was in infantry, so I was going to be a line guy. Um, I went through basic training and AIT and AIT is like advanced individual training. Uh, where you learn your MOS. So you go through basic, then you go through AIT. I learned infantry tactics, you know, which was super lame. And at the very lowest level, how to set up a Claymore mine, you know, <laughs> it's pretty uh, cool, qualify with your weapon, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> um, movement to contact, basic infantry drills. And then uh, went to airborne school. And that was like, you know, a three week long thing. And then went to the Ranger indoctrination program, which was, basically three weeks of kind of hazing physical fitness. We did some stuff in the field, learning how the Rangers plan an operation warning orders and operations orders and things like that. And then going and executing uh, a mission. And back then it was all very much like light infantry uh, raid, ambush, recon, those kinds of things. Yeah, right. So, and then when you finish that, you know, people, and, and you guys probably know this to some degree, but people always think that there's some sort of like sense of accomplishment when you, when you graduate and really all graduating does, right? So I get to put on my black beret back then. Yeah. It was a black beret, not a tan beret. And it's still like, you realize then that now that you're assigned to the Rangers because you made it through like you have to prove yourself to these guys. And some of these dudes had jumped into Panama and were combat veterans. And, you know, it's not like, Oh, look at me. I just graduated. You're, you're the lowest dude on the totem pole and you have to prove yourself to them. And that's really where the hard part begins. You know? So people ask me about Delta selection or they ask me about uh, the Ranger stuff or whatever it might be. And really it's, it's like an ongoing thing. Selection yeah. never really ends. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So you, you finish your training and then you get posted. Do you get posted to a Ranger Battalion? Yeah, so I, I elected to – there are three Ranger Battalions. One, uh, first Ranger Battalions in Savannah, Georgia. Third Ranger Battalions in Fort Benning, Georgia. And then second Ranger Battalion is up in uh, Fort Lewis, Washington, yeah. Washington State. And I was kind of, you know – I didn't want to move again. And I knew that um, if I picked third range of battalion, nobody wanted, nobody wanted to be stationed there. And, uh, and I had spent, you know, all of basic training in airborne and ranger indoctrination program at Fort Benning. That's where it all happens. So I was just kind of comfortable. I knew where the mall was. I knew where some restaurants were. And I, I just didn't feel like having to relearn a new area and everything else. So I elected to go to third range of battalion and that's where I got assigned. Yeah, right. That makes sense though, you know, because I was the same. I stayed in the city my whole time for my whole eight-year career, 
There was uh, chances to go to Perth, Darwin or Cairns here in Australia and I just couldn't be bothered for the same reasons, Brad. I just can't be bothered learning new roads, the way to get to work and I was comfortable, you know, this, where I grew up as well, just up the road about two hours north. Um, but yeah. Yeah, right. So, and then uh, you get posted to Butane, then you get your first uh, overseas deployment. Where, where where was your first deployment? Was it Somalia or was it there was there something before that? No, it was, it was in uh, Mogadishu. So, so was, I was yeah. there for the better part of two years before – uh, Mogadishu happened. Yeah, right. and yeah. So in the interim, you know, I, I proved myself and went to ranger school, which is ranger school is like a leadership course that the military runs army runs. And it's, uh, you know, they basically try and simulate, uh, combat stress by taking away your food and sleep. And, and that's kind of, you know, so if you can lead a patrol, if you can lead people, when you're cold, hungry, wet, tired, and all of that, then they feel like, well, you could probably lead people when things aren't that bad. And that's the only way they could simulate, you know, the stress of combat. So it's a pretty grueling school to be a leader in the Ranger Battalion or in the Ranger Regiment. You have to go through Ranger school and, you know, you can recycle and some guys spend nine months in Ranger school, or I think when I went through it was 72 days long. Wow. So, okay. Wow. Well, yeah. Yeah. It's a suck fest, no doubt. Can you, uh, the, the two years before the Battle of Mogadishu, can you tell us uh, what your tasking was over in Somalia? What our tasking was? Yeah. What, yeah. what was the like role for the Rangers? Yeah. Your mission yeah. for obviously two years prior. Like, what was yeah, the yeah. idea? So, I was, uh, I had actually elected to go to a recon detachment within the Rangers, which was kind of like a more specialized group that did military free fall and scuba and stuff like that. And um, so because I had elected to go to selection for that in October of 1993, prior to that, they were like, okay, we're not going to make you a team leader. We're going to, we know you're going to leave and go do other things. So I was just kind of a freelance saw gunner, you know, running around with an M249 saw. Fuck yeah. And, uh, <laughs> you know, was in the squad that I was in the whole time I was there. But that was that was basically my role. So I didn't have subordinates necessarily, even though there were privates in my squad that yeah. I was kind of in charge of. Um, I wasn't like on the manning documents, you know, he's a team leader, he's this or yeah. he's that. So um, after Mogadishu, I I couldn't go to that selection process or that selection course because we were still in Mogadishu and they, they didn't run. I don't believe they ran a selection course then because they didn't, uh, you couldn't open it up to all the groups because some groups were gone. And I also, because of the number of casualties in my platoon from Mogadishu, I didn't, I didn't feel like it was proper for me to just leave, you know? So I wanted to be able to mentor new guys coming in. And also wanted to help the platoon kind of rebuild because most of the leadership uh, was injured significantly or even, you know, minor. It's like you can't, if you have uh, shrapnel in your feet, you know, you can't be in charge of a group and go out and run and yeah, do PT right. and stuff yeah. like that. So I stuck around for, for about another year and a half after Mogadishu just to kind of make sure that things were on track and, you know, felt like that was the responsible thing to do. And all those deployments, uh, that was there like full time. You didn't go, you didn't go back home for respite after like six months. You were there for like full time for those two years, whatever you said you were there for. 
So we were in Mogadishu for, uh, I want to say it was like middle of August until the end of October. Okay. So it was a, it was a short trip. It wasn't too long. And, and we were pretty active the whole time we were there. It wasn't like, yeah. you know, sitting around for weeks on end. We were, we were doing a lot of stuff. Yeah, right. That's interesting. So I was reading reading before, you know, before we jumped on with you, I was reading a few, you know, um, there's a fair bit of stuff about you on uh, on the internet, obviously, through at Google. And I was reading about Operation um, Gothic Serpent and uh, how hectic it was. Just, you know, you, one thing I was reading that, you know, you were there not long and you caught your first mortar attack and, you know, Iran landed next to you type thing. So it wasn't just, you know, the Battle of Mogadishu itself it was – and the, the days leading up as well, I think they lost a couple of uh, U.S. soldiers as well. They stepped on it. Was an IED or? Yeah, I mean, we, that that's kind of the thing that, you know, I appreciate that Black Hawk Down was written and that it was released as a movie. And it was a very, you know, it's it's a great depiction of like what you do for your mates and, you know, to the ends of the earth that you'll go to make sure that you're, you know, you pull your buddies out and everything else, you know. Um, but one of the things, and I understand because of Hollywood, you yeah. know, they're trying to take hundreds of characters and condense them down to a handful that you can understand and manage on the screen. Um, but really, they didn't get into anything prior or or post. And I, I wish that that story was told somewhere because yeah, we had done a number of you know very successful operations prior to. Uh, we got into gunfights prior to. Uh, we had, you know, like you mentioned, mortar attacks and things like that. We were driving around doing operations and and all that stuff. And, you know, none of that's really ever talked about. So it's kind of lost, you know. Yeah. And everybody just thinks of Black Hawk Down. They don't really understand that, you know, no, there were, would there you were a bunch of other things. That, would you ever consider writing a book, maybe? I had a book contract, and I want to say it was like 2011, soon after I retired. and. I didn't want to, well, the, the, the Navy SEAL book, kill, uh, not Killing Bin Laden, but No Easy Day. Yeah, right? I've, read, the one that was I've read it, yeah. Bin Laden, that came out and there was such a backlash in the community about a guy kind of spilling his guts and telling secrets oh, that okay. I didn't want to be that guy. Yeah, and, the whistleblower. You know, there's a lot of negativity surrounding guys that write books. So I didn't want to write a book about, you know, it wasn't just military stuff i wanted it to be more you know about the world you know yeah. all, all of these things and kind of some of the stuff that we're talking about today but uh they were kind of pushing me to make it more about war and, yeah you know etc cetera, etc cetera. so i i waved off on the whole deal so i'm i'm not a writer that way um it's not something i ever wanted to necessarily do so yeah. Uh, you know, I'd rather do things like this and get the word out and play music and and stuff like that. That's that's more me. Yeah, exactly. With exactly. the um the film, like just before you said before, you were there two years prior to the attack. Black Hawk Down just depicts, I think, including myself, just up until about five minutes ago. I just I didn't know the U.S. forces were there for years prior. I thought you guys were just there for your for your task there, um, and the Australians. So that actually shed some light on the actual like, the whole task that was over in Somalia. So yeah, I like that. It was yeah. good. Oh, did you work with any um, Australians over there? Any Australian army? No, I didn't. Um, we had on the compound that we were staying at at the airfield. It was interesting. The day that we arrived, 
you know, it was kind of like, okay, there's the hangar. That's where you guys are living. And they had cots laid out and things like that. Um, but we kind of had to really build it out. Like, where's our chow hall? Where do we go uh, eat? Okay. How do we secure it to make sure that people aren't coming and going that aren't supposed to be here? Uh, you know, they had to bring in the what we called the honey wagon, which was the uh, <laughs> shit sucking truck that cleaned out the porta potty. Honey you know? wagon. <laughs> oh, dude, that thing stunk like you wouldn't believe. Uh, you know, but it, there was all that stuff. So we got there. And I want to say it was maybe in the middle of the afternoon and we got a couple of briefings. They gave us uh, a bunch of cards. One of them was like an identification card. And we put like green tape on our dog tags. So it was like that was one of the things that they look for. They check your ID as you were coming and going. We had to establish kind of guard positions like overwatch. So we wanted to make sure that if people, you know, were trying to attack or trying to come in, we had the ability to defend the, the hangar and uh, our portion of the airfield. So interestingly, right when we got there, uh, after the briefings and everything else, it started to get dark and there was a hole in one of the walls that went around the hangar building. And I got sent out with, with one of the privates in my squad to go like kind of make sure no one was coming in and out of that hole in the wall. And I'm standing there and we, we just had our guns. We didn't have... Uh, body armor. We didn't have helmets or anything else. And there were uh, Russians, Russian doctors and medical staff that were right there. And they kept walking up to us, you know, and speaking Russian. And we didn't know who they were, or, <laughs> wow. you know, so it was kind of like, hey, get away, motherfucker. You know, I'm going <laughs> to shoot you if you don't get away. You know, and, like they were, they were nice people, but we didn't know. Uh, yeah. We didn't know who they were. Yeah, and really? uh, about, about that time, you know, uh, the first mortar round came floating in and hit hit this building right next to where like landed on the roof, maybe Holy 30 shit. feet away from, from where we were sitting. And uh, anyway, that was kind of like, welcome, welcome to Mogadishu. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's uh that's interesting. Well, I guess we'll move on from Somalia. Um, so you get back from Somalia and then um, is it 1999 you transition into Delta, uh, Delta or as known CAG yeah. as well, which. Yeah. So, Go ahead. Sorry, mate. Like, what, what was your obviously before you joined? You wanted to be Delta. That was obviously what you. When you're and then yeah. I guess you would have worked with Delta along the way, especially in uh, Somalia. You definitely worked with them. So yeah, I guess you grew that love to want to be one. So you did. Yeah, that 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 kind of started actually in Ranger School. I went to Ranger School with with two guys from the unit, Norm Hooten, who was depicted in the movie, and he's he's the guy that's like, this is my oh, yeah. safety oh, yeah. in the movie. Eric Banner. So I, I went yeah. to ranger school with him and one other guy, Brad Halling, who ended up losing his leg in Mogadishu. And, uh, you know, so I, I kind of saw that there was a difference between those guys and, you know, some of the special forces guys that I ran into in ranger school. And so that was kind of my first experience with them. And then it definitely in Mogadishu, that kind of solidified, you know, that's what I want to do. They, they played by big boy rules. You know, if you wanted to roll your sleeves up on your uniform, if you yeah. wanted to unblouse your boots, it just, that was the kind of thing. <laughs> and that was some of the, the stuff that I had heartache with in the Rangers was it was so about discipline Richard. and about, and sometimes I felt like the discipline overtook like, real training and yeah. doing what's practical instead of, you know, being about anyway. Um, 
So going to Mogadishu kind of solidified that, yeah, that's definitely what I want to do. Um, at the time, there was so little known, you know, about the unit that you kind of needed a, a stepping stone to get there. And so my stepping stone was to go to the recon detachment in the 75th Ranger Regiment. So I went there in 95, um, summer of 95. And so I went to like military freefall school and we were doing, you know, more specialized, you know, we were on first name basis. Yeah, yeah. It was a less, you know, it wasn't so regimented and, and everything else. And I, I, I feel like that was a great stepping stone. A lot of guys from the Rangers would go to special forces. And so they would do that for, you know, three or four years, and then they would go to Delta. And uh, so for me, it was just, I wanted to stay within the Ranger Regiment. I didn't like the special forces mission. I didn't like what they did. So I didn't want to go there. Yeah, right. But I did that from 95 until 98. And in the fall of 1998, I went to selection for Delta and, and was selected. That's that's awesome. And, you know, obviously Delta, in a way, for the Army, that, that's the pinnacle. That's the pinnacle position for the Army, um, which is incredible. Yeah, it, it's, it's one of those things, too, where, you know, people talk about this a lot. And I think it's when, when people think of Delta, they're like, they automatically think the best. And it's like, that's the best in the army. Like, no, it's the best in the army at what it does. Yeah. Right. But it's no better than any other unit in the army. It's not better than the Rangers. It's not better than special forces. It's just very good at what it does. Yeah. And, you know, so people tend to, I don't like when I hear stuff, when people will insinuate like, oh, tier one is better than tier two or this is better. You know, it, it takes, it takes a whole team to make shit happen in the military, whether yeah. it's mechanics, whether it's cooks, oh, exactly, whether it's yeah. supply guy, you know, it's, it's everything. And anyway, so I, I, I always want to clear that up with folks and let them know that like, because I was in Delta, I spent 12 years there. I don't feel like I'm better than any other soldier. It's just, I did a different job and and fortunately and unfortunately, it's like I got to do the glory stuff. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. and and I talk a lot. You you guys may or may not. Oh, first of all, one of my favorite all-time sports was Aussie Rules football. Like <laughs> no dude, you guys crush it. You make American <laughs> football look like a bunch yeah, of little there's, kids. There's no pads. Who's your there's team, no Brad? Yeah. Oh, dude. So I, I was in um I was in Sydney for like four or five days. And then I went to Brisbane for about a week. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and this was a few years back and I was sick and insanely sick for like, I, I started feeling not good on the plane. And by the time I landed in Sydney, I was feeling horrible. And I basically stayed in the hotel room for like four days. And, uh, the only thing that was on TV was Aussie rules football. <laughs> and I just, I watched that, you know, that or rugby and, and, uh, anyway, so I, I like to equate when I talk about Delta, I like to equate it to American football and it's very much like the NFL. Yeah. <clears throat> and the NFL isn't, it's not like the people in the NFL are better people than people that play college football or that they're better than people that are playing high school football. It's just at a different level. And, you know, it takes a whole, you, you start at a very young age and you have to work your way up to being in the NFL. It's not something that you just 
walk in the door and yeah, you, you exactly. Play. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah, and definitely, obviously, like the you know the deltas, the the primary role is uh, high value targets. At the end of the day, just snatching, you know, that type of job. Right. At the end you're, of the day, you're so looking it's, for it's, you're the, looking for H meets you know high value targets and hostage rescue and things like that. You know, so that's you train and it's it's very much like being a master in the basics. You know, yeah. everybody wants to think that, you know, if you're if you're doing CQB or close quarter battle, that Delta is just so lightning fast and, you know, runs into every room and things like that. <laughs> yeah. and it's definitely a fast paced thing. But the thing that makes Delta really good at what it does is that it just masters the basics. That's and it. so, you know, if I come into a room, my brain is already calculating what I see. It's doing all the things that I'm supposed to be doing, and I'm already looking for the next place to go. Yeah, right. You know, like my because my brain has gotten so good at what it takes to just enter the room, clear my corner, and move on to the next thing. Right? It, it's it allows your brain to think, and uh, yeah, yeah. So obviously, over the next couple of years, from say year two thousand, you know, two thousand one is a quite a substantial year for the whole world when yeah. it comes for the militaries. You know, it changed it, – it, you know, got me to Afghanistan and, you know, we lost a few mates obviously along the way. So it changed every military around the world. And obviously for yourself, you know, being uh, in Delta, where were, where were you when September 11 happened? I was actually at home that day. Uh, I was getting ready to help run our selection course. Oh, and uh, we send uh, operational people up to be a part of the selection course. And the good thing about that is that it gives you buy-in and it lets you understand that the process hasn't changed. So, you know, a lot of things like whatever the selection process might be, if you're not a part of it, then there could be uh, within the ranks, you know, guys talking about, oh, it's easier now, or they change the standards, or, you know, they're letting anybody in nowadays, you know, gotcha. it used to be harder when I went through, and yeah. there's a lot of that kind of stuff. And so by keeping active operational guys a part of the selection process, it, it gives you that buy-in that you're getting the right people. No, nothing has changed. The standard isn't any different. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it keeps that whole thing alive. So I was at home. And uh, was drinking coffee. I was packing my stuff and making sure, like that was my day. Was supposed to travel on the twelfth of September, so I was just kind of at home getting my stuff together, ready to be gone for for a little while. And uh, it it's funny because you know the reports that came on. I think I had the Today Show on with Matt Lauer, and uh, you guys are probably like, "Who the fuck is that?" <laughs> and uh, <laughs> but anyway, uh, when they first you know pan to Hey, there's a a small plane has hit one of the World Trade Center, and going like that doesn't sound right. Like you don't just fly a small plane. Yeah, into, exactly. Yeah. And so, about the time that they picked up live coverage is when the second plane hit. And as soon as the second plane hit, I was like, "All right, game the fuck on." Just wait for the call. This is an act of war. Yeah. Right. And then uh, obviously, you know, Afghanistan kicks off. So how you yeah. know how long does it take for you to uh, get deployed to Afghanistan? I was, um, it took a few months and, you know, before, before my group was ready to go. 
And uh, I was I was hoping that it was going to be, you know, like war. And it wasn't, you know, it was like, hey, where's your PT belt when you're out running? And there was a lot of, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and interestingly, because I don't want to get into a lot of the details of like where I was yeah, of course, during the yeah. war and things like that. But uh, interestingly, what I saw and what, you know, me and my teammates would talk about was this was a peacetime military, right? Like I joined, there was no war. There were small conflicts like Grenada and Panama and Mogadishu. And if you weren't, you know, in a specific group that was at one of those events, you didn't have combat experience. So it, there was a very small group of people that had been to combat. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when I got to Delta, there were still guys from Mogadishu, you know, that were team leaders and things like that. So I, I knew some of those guys and, uh, and it was kind of a close knit group. There, there were still guys left. Most of the Rangers after Mogadishu got out and they were, you know, uh, it's hard to make people understand, but like pre-war, a lot of people joined the army for college money, Yeah, you know, and, and you get your college paid for. So guys would go to high school, they'd go, you know, do four years in the military, they get out and they go to college. So anyway, if you understand that it was a very peacetime army, when Afghanistan kicked off, it was the war was being run by peacetime guys who were very political, you know, mm -hmm. and didn't want to take risks. Yeah. And, you know, nobody wanted to lose anybody and we don't want to lose an aircraft and we don't want this to be Mogadishu. And, you know, so it was, it was kind of like a disappointment in that we were ready to go and get after it and kill motherfuckers. And it was really more about like, well, there's too much illumination. We don't want to fly aircraft. You know, we don't, you know, that kind of thing was going on. So it was, it was a letdown. Yeah. Mate, it's funny you say that because it was a similar thing for us here in Australia. When we deployed to Afghanistan, you know, prior to Afghanistan and Iraq, it was a dormant time for the, for the Australian Army, especially all throughout the 90s, you know. There were select guys going to Somalia or Rwanda and stuff like that. There was East Timor, but it wasn't an active war zone. So when we got yeah. to Afghanistan, it was the same thing, mate. We were standing too, you know. <laughs> you know, in the morning, 100% stand too. Everyone was like, what are we doing? We're in the middle of the yeah. desert. What are we doing? Let's 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 just calm <laughs> down a bit. So, mate, yeah, I know where you're coming from. But, um, yeah, so – because that's the way we've always done it. Exactly, you know? yeah. It's, a, it's this institutionalized, Hurry you know, up and not being able to think as fast as the enemy. And, yeah. uh, you know, yeah, that's... it was disappointing. <laughs> yeah, so then you get back from uh, Afghanistan and obviously 2003 Iraq kicks off, which is, you know, a, a, another different ball game because it's a different part of the world. And, uh, you know, two, two, as you know, it's two totally different countries. You know, they're still yeah. pretty close to each other, but they're totally different countries. And at that stage, you know, Iraq was still, it was almost a, you know, almost a first world country as well. You know, they had, yeah. it, was, it was quite quite a wealthy country. So uh, you deployed to Iraq 2003? Yep. Yeah, yeah. It was a part of the invasion. And uh, I think I deployed four more times there. Yeah, oh, right. And, uh, wow. Yeah. And so we were, we were, pretty busy there yeah right. Um, yeah not not too much i can talk about or want to talk about yeah that, but no nah, that's that's um, fun i was just about to ask that going, <laughs> going, back, going back to the september 11th thing this is a really awesome story and it involves australians so we 
uh, the, the unit will do exchanges, right? It'll do exchanges with different units and even the Rangers will do exchanges. They'll have guys from different countries, you know, participate, you know, hang out and yeah. train and things like that. And we had an Australian uh, named Stu who was with us when September 11th happened. And he had been with us for about a year, I want to say. So he was, he was one of our troop mates. Like he was one of our homies and, you know, trained in every bit, a part of, you know, our organization for the, for the couple of years that he was going to be there. And it was so new. And this is what I mean by like that whole peacetime army thing. When the word came down to like, we're going to go do something. He was like, do I call my unit and <laughs> yeah. ask if I can go? Like, what is the clearance? Exactly Are, right. Am I allowed to go as an Australian? Is this like an America only? And we were like, dude, don't call. Just get on the just plane. Get, yeah, just get on just the plane. Roll. <laughs> just and, for the... Uh, anyway, I, I forget exactly what happened, but <laughs> Stu ended up, you know... He just, awesome. got on the, he, he just got on the plane. Just for the record. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> just for the record, Brad was uh, Stu Sass, was he? Was he SAS? Yeah, I believe so. And okay. I, I don't, even at the time, uh, you know, we didn't, he wasn't on my team. So okay. it wasn't like we were doing a lot of in, exchanging of information and where he did. And it was almost like, hey, he's just one of us. Yeah, right. that is uh, awesome. He just had, tagged along. We had, another, <laughs> we had another guy that I believe was British, um, but I think he was like born in the UK and had come and, you know, was a citizen and everything else. But he was, you know, he had the British accent and everything else. So it just wasn't, I don't know. We didn't really think about it. It wasn't like, oh, you're different. You do this. He got our gear. He got our yeah, gun. You yeah. know, like had all the same stuff and trained with us like he was a part of the group. So Yeah, right. Well, I reckon through my channels, I might be able to track this uh, Stu down. This stew down. Do, you, do you know any more <laughs> info about, about Stu that you could tell us? Offline, obviously. Uh. No, I, I mean uh, nothing. Nothing that I can think of. I've run into him a time or two ooh, since okay. then. At first, you know, if I when I ran into him last, I couldn't remember whether he was a guy that I knew from the UK and not the guy that I was talking about before. Yeah, but the accent will always, you know, like you guys don't always <laughs> sound go, the same. Mike. Mike. <laughs> but, but sometimes I'm like, wait, was that a was that the Brit? guy that i worked with or was that the australian you know and it'll take a minute and until you know we, we don't have a lot of pictures from back yeah, then yeah you know so it's not like oh there's Stu or there's you know kev <laughs> or there's so-and-so it's you know i want to i want to chat to Stu. yeah we'll, 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 we'll track him down we'll just him uh down. touching that again so Stu went overseas you go straight to straight to uh afghanistan Did what's that so Stu jumped on the plane with you guys to go to afghan i don't remember I okay. I don't remember. I want to say yes, but Let's just I say don't remember. Did. I just remember that whole conflict of like, <laughs> am I allowed to go? Am I not allowed that to is go? Awesome. You know, is this going to be okay? And it was, you know, that, that was one of the things that kind of cued me into the whole, you know, okay, this is a very political thing, not a, you know, let's yeah. go out and kick some ass kind of thing. Hectic. I absolutely love that story. Anyway, Stu, if you're out there listening, mate, get in touch with us. <laughs> touch. Uh, that is hectic. Um, so you do all your deployments. Uh, you finish up in Iraq um, you know, a few years later. Um, you discharge 2010, and I guess you did 20 years in total, so eight years 
as a ranger and then 12 years as Delta. So that's that's an extensive career, like 20 years, a long time spent in the, in the, in the armed forces. And especially being a yeah. badass as well. That. Exactly, mate. Like, yeah, yeah, you, yeah. You, weren't, you weren't a cook or a bosun or something, you yeah. know, you're, you're a fucking you hardcore. Yeah, you didn't take it easy, which, yeah. is, um, which is admirable, mate. But, um, yeah, so you just decided to get out and you had enough time to retire type thing. Yeah, I was I was kind of ready to move on and probably at like the 16 year mark and at some point, you know, you're drawing if you stay into 20 in uh in the American military, then you're drawing a retirement and you're you know, kind of getting a pension for life kind of deal. Awesome. And so at some point it makes sense just to kind of stay in and, you know, finish it out. And so really I was I was kind of done with the whole thing. I don't know, probably 16 years. So I was I was ready to get out when the time came. Um, there are a lot of guys that, you know, because they get injured or they get medically retired or things like that, you know, they, they get that thing taken away from them, you know, especially guys that get banged up on the battlefield, you know, they're, they're in the middle, they're doing the thing that they love. They're doing the thing that they want to do. And it gets taken away from them because of injury or, or something else. And that's not to say that like injuries happen all the time, you know, dudes, tear their ACL when they're yeah. doing the obstacle course. There are all kinds of stuff, man. So to stay there and to stay, you know, active in a, in a unit like that for that long, is a very tough accomplishment. Yeah. And, you know, I, I don't feel proud about it. Like, Oh, I was there 12 years. It's more like, you know, I was able to perform at the highest level for that number of years, you know? Um, if you equate it to professional sports, and again, it's like I like to use the NFL just because people in America understand that. But it's one thing to be in the NFL. Most people join the NFL, and the average is actually like they're there for two years, yeah. if that. Is it really? Because it's so hard to perform at that level. And right. you know, the guys that are the famous guys, the guys that have been around a long time, you just endure, you know. And there's probably some luck. There's, there's a lot of timing. There's, you know, there's all kinds of stuff that happens there. So I consider myself fortunate in that I was able to kind of hang on for that long. And, uh, and also too, I was, I was just kind of ready to challenge myself with something new. I didn't, I didn't want to just, you know, uh, do that for, you know, 40 years. I, I was yeah. ready to move on and kind of what's the next chapter of my life. Yeah, right. So what was that? What yeah. is the next chapter? What was that chapter from 2010? So the last, I, I don't talk about this a lot, like on social media, but the last couple of years that I was at the unit, I worked within like the R&D wing and that's, it develops new gear. It develops weapons, that's it, you know, anything from footwear to eyewear to everything in between camouflage, all that. That is sick. So the last couple of, the last couple of years that I served there, I worked in that uh, in that job and, um, was working with all of industry, you know, companies like Patagonia companies like ops and, you know, Nike, you name it, Oakley and, uh, uh, developed a bunch of stuff with cry precision. And so if you know, cry and the uniforms, I've got some black guys. So I, I went to work for them, uh, developed a ton of products with them, starting in, you know, I don't know, 2006 or so. And uh, basically everything that you see that's out there that, that Cry produces now 
is stuff that I developed with them when I was still active. Yeah, right. Holy shit. That's crazy because I've been wearing yeah. cry stuff for the last probably seven years in Iraq and Afghanistan. I wore the JBC plate carrier. Yeah. It's, it's, so it's, they, it's I, great I kit. developed that with those guys Did back you? Yeah, in That's 2008. Hectic. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. And uh, the combat uniform and and all of that stuff. It was it was something that I saw. So when I when I started working with those guys, they weren't even Cry Precision yet. It was called Cry Associates. Yeah. And uh, they were basically a design company, and they had won a contract with the U.S. Army, and it was uh, a program called Objective Force Warrior, which was this is what the soldier of the future looks like. And they weren't developing products then. They were just basically drawing posters and making these, you know, kind of futuristic ideas of what things look like. And I got in touch with them. I went to a meeting that that two of the guys were at, and I saw some of the drawings. And I said, "Do you guys want to make some of this shit for real? You know, like that uniform concept is really cool." Um, and it's not anywhere close to like the combat uniform that you know today. But, yeah. Um, anyway, I helped them kind of develop it from their futuristic idea of drawing conceptual type of thing into, you know, what it is today. Yeah, and right. that was kind of the start point. And That's then effective. that turned into, well, we need new armor. We need new footwear. We need new helmets. We need new. So I basically, from the time I started that job, uh, to the time that I retired, you know, changed everything that the dude wore from camouflage to uniform to armor to helmet to eyewear to you name it, cold weather systems, all of that stuff. Was that just and, for Delta uh, or was that for the whole U.S. Army? Well, a lot of it's transitioned to the whole U.S. Army. So like no, Multicam yeah. as an example, yeah. you know, that was a <clears throat> that was a Delta Force only thing for a number of years. Yeah, the Navy's and then military. it transitioned to the Rangers and then you know, people in the military saw other people overseas and it works really well and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So the army printed multicam for the better part of like four years while it was still issuing that horrible blue pixelated uniform that didn't work at all. (laughs) And uh, yeah, so a lot of stuff has transitioned, uh, you know, to the big army. That's awesome. I didn't. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. That is very interesting. And then uh, yeah, so I, re- I retired on a Friday afternoon and I was working there on Monday morning. Yeah, right. Hectic. That's, <laughs> that's awesome. How's that spelt? Sorry. So uh, listeners, if they want to bloody do a little search, was it? Cry. Cry Precision. Cry Precision. Okay. Yeah. It's good yeah, stuff. C-R-Y-E. Yeah. Hectic. Right. I will uh, we'll good tag, kit. tag that Very up. good kit. Um, and then uh, so you start, um, obviously, you growing up, you were into your music, love your music, and obviously – uh, for the viewers, uh, or for the viewers, I should say, uh, the listeners, we've got uh, footage here. You know, we're speaking through Zoom, so we can see a couple of amplifiers in the background. And um, is that a guitar over your right shoulder? I think in the case, yeah, yeah, I think I've got like an acoustic sitting there. But yeah. I got like a busted out. Go on, Brad. The guitars over here. <laughs> you would have been one of those guys. You know, every every deployment had one. They every had ship it. has one. Every ship had one. <laughs> they had the guitar. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Then one of those bloody actually, acoustic actually assholes. Actually, I, did, I didn't, but there was a yeah, guy right. in my troop. There was a guy in my troop that did, and so I I always played music like while I was in the military, and it wasn't until you know probably two thousand five or two thousand six that I really really got back into it. Yep, and that that kind of started the whole bug, and then you know definitely with retiring and being able to do 
whatever I wanted to do, yeah. you know, that changed things greatly. So I was playing while I was still in North Carolina, I was playing in bands there and doing stuff there and, you know, realized how much I loved it and missed it and everything else. And that kind of started the whole idea of, you know, doing the thing that I'm doing now. Yeah. So do you want to, do you want to uh, touch on that? Uh, the, the band, uh, Silence and Light. Yeah. 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 So um, kind of 2017, I got the idea of, you know, creating music, releasing it, selling it, whatever you want to call it, and taking the proceeds of music royalties and contribute those to several, you know, veteran and first responder charitable organizations. And that was kind of, it was just an idea. And it happened, the idea happened right before a buddy of mine uh, named Jason Everman was coming into town and we were going to a concert together. And people, people know Jason pretty well on the internet. Yeah. Um, he was, he was in Nirvana and Soundgarden before he joined the army in 1994. Wow. Okay. And, uh, I knew about him from the day that he stepped foot in the Ranger regiment because word of word of mouth <laughs> travels quickly and people knew that I had played music and things like that. And they were like, Hey, there's this guy that was in Nirvana of the second Ranger battalion. You know? So it, it took Jason and I a number of years before we actually connected in person and started hanging out and, uh, and, and just really became good friends. So he was coming into town and we were going to go see Mastodon in, uh, in Manhattan. And that was kind of the day before that, that, that happened is when I kind of came up with this idea of like, Hey man, let's, let's do this thing. Let's play some music, figure it out, whatever that looks like. I didn't know if that was, uh, you know, it was all just brand new. Like I didn't approach it. Like I'm going to start a rock band and do this. It was more like just grew organically. So I approached him about the idea. He said, yes. Um, and, and then I started the social media page basically to let people know what I was doing. And, you know, just bringing awareness through music and, you know, that kind of thing. And next thing I know, you know, a month later, I got a guy calling me and he's like, hey, man, I, you know, I was in Marsoc and I play the bass. And I don't know if you guys need somebody, (laughs) but like, I'd love to be a part of this. And so where are you located? Oh, I'm in Raleigh. So, oh, all right, let's let's meet up and, you know, see if it works. And. Now we got a bass player and then we got a drummer and then we got a singer and it just kind of turned into this thing. And, and all veterans so I as well. I didn't necessarily say that this is what it's going to look like, you know, when it's all said and done, but that's, that's how it started. Yeah. And all veterans as well. Yeah. 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 Oh, well, or active. Yeah. Active. active. Yeah. Right. Where that's, did, that's cool. Where did the that's, name come from? Brad? Yeah, Silence and Light. Where'd you get so inspiration? In, interestingly, the, the bass player that I mentioned, Tyson, he uh, had a picture, and the picture was of this Afghanistan valley when he was there. And it was, he just texted me. That's crazy. He just popped up. Saul. Twice. He, he and I had this like weird connection where like every time we hang out <laughs> and we leave, we hear Black Sabbath playing, you know, on yeah, satellite right. radio. Whatever, and we're like, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> anyway. Um, so he had this picture when he was in Marsak and in Afghanistan, and it was it was a really unique picture because it's kind of like it's beautiful, but at the same time it's like there's this lurking 
evil. And he and I had been talking about a poem that was called In Between the Silence and the Light. And uh, you can Google that and find it. Um, but it was, it was kind of about, I don't know, this, this hope and solitude and this kind of feeling. And so, you know, whether he said it or whether I said it, I don't remember, but it was just kind of like, hey, silence and light. And to me, you know, people always ask about what does it mean? And, and really, it means whatever you want it to mean. Yeah. That's kind of what I like about it is it can mean something different to you than it does to me. And it also, it makes people think like it's not, it's not like dropping bombs, right? It's not machine gun, you know, or something like that. It's, it's very much like, I don't know. So to me, it means I, I think about it in terms of like being deployed and feeling lonely, you yeah. know, even though you're surrounded by teammates, but like your children are at home, your wife is at home. And there's just this feeling of loneliness and also like there's hope, you know, you're kind of counting down days, you know, like 68 days left yeah, and, and that type of thing. So I don't know. It's kind of like the light at the end of the tunnel you okay. know, to me is, is what it means. I actually, I actually dig that. It's cool. Yeah, I do too. I do too. I know yeah. what you're talking about the, the silence and the lonely thing is out at sea, you know, if you're on watch, you look, you're looking out and you're there for hours, like four hours a day, whatever. And Yes, it's just you and your thoughts, you know, and you think same thing, yeah. you just counting the days down and you're like another day out in the sun, you know, it's 48 degrees and another same as you, Matt, as well. Yeah. Um, and yeah. obviously Brad, you and, every, and everyone else out there, you know, we've all, all done it. So silence and light, yeah, it, it makes sense. I like it. No, yeah, definitely. It's, it's uh, when you're alone with your thoughts like that, right, you're very honest with yourself. Oh, 100%. It's not, it's not like <laughs> – uh, you know, you can create things in your mind of who you think you are. Like it's very real at that point, you know, and you're, you're stepping into the unknown every day. Mm. You yeah. Know? Right. So are you, all you guys in New York in that same area? No, everybody's in, uh, in different locations. Yeah. I suppose that's, that's what you said. It's, 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 probably, it's probably a misnomer with, with most bands is that yeah. people think that like, these guys live in the same house together and they <laughs> hang out together all the time and everything yeah, else. And, you know, we're, we're basically a, a team, you know, we, we feel that camaraderie and everything else, but you know, we all live in different States. We come together to do, you know, events and we come together to write music, all that stuff. So, yeah. Obviously because of COVID awesome. has been quite slow with the, with um, you know, doing shows, et cetera. Wouldn't it be? Yeah. Live, live music is definitely taking a hit. Um, but one of the things that that did for us, we, we had a bunch of stuff lined up for last summer, you know, and that all got, got put on hold because of COVID, but so it did for everybody, you know, whether, yeah, exactly. whether you're like the best musician in the world, the best band in the world, or whether you're a nobody, everybody got crushed by that. But what it did was it gave us the opportunity to just continue writing and getting together and rehearsing. So you know, we're getting ready to record our second album. And, you know, I have to say it's one of those things where I don't think, I don't think most people understand like what it took to put a band together. Yeah. Um, what it took to put music together, what it took to get into a studio to record it. And Oh, by the way, we had, you know, probably one of the best producers and in music industry today produced it for us. And you know, just that whole process, it was a ton of work, you know? So 
get five individuals together and all decide on, you know, what the best picket, you know, what the best thing is. Yeah. So what's our sound? What what do we want to sound like? What are we trying to accomplish? How do we work together? Uh, you know, writing music and collaborating and things like that. All of that stuff took a ton of time. So our first album was very much like, here's a collection of songs that we've written. And when we assembled them all together, we realized that, well, some of these songs don't fit with other songs. So we kind of, you, you start to figure out like what your sound is, air quotes, your sound, you know? And I feel like we just kind of got to that point when we went to the studio to record the first album. So we recorded 12 songs. I think there are only eight songs on the album because we recognized that some of them just didn't fit. They, they didn't go together. Now that we know what our sound is, it's it's kind of a lot easier to, you know, write music now yeah. that you know what you're trying to go for. Gotcha. And so anyway, we, we've been able, like the songs on this album, album two are much more mature. They're, they're just better songs all around. They've got more layers. They've got more things going on. They're more complex. They have all of that because it's taken all that time just to, figure out like what we are yeah, and well, uh, yeah, it's been interesting. Yeah. And no, it sounds like you, 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 you know, you really, you know, invested your life into it now, which is, which is amazing. You got something, you know, yeah. you, you look forward to doing every day and, and uh, hopefully one day you're going to be start, you're going to tell the, tell the world, mate, and we'll get some tickets. <laughs> yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, that'll be the next, the next phase, right. It's to figure out. So we need to get this album recorded. We've got a, a record label on board. We've got a publicist on board. That's going to start promoting things pretty heavily. And you know, the next, the next goal is like get out there and, and get after it and play some shows, whether it's, you know, jump on with somebody else. And, uh, we had, we had some, um, USO tour stuff lined up for last summer. And we would have loved to have done that, like go overseas and play at military bases and hang with the deployed folks and things like that. Like that, that's right up our alley, you know? Yeah. Right. That that, that wouldn't want to make you get back into the military, would it? (laughs) Get the the itch again. He goes out for a concert and they go, where are we at Brad? And he's he's all body cammed up going down the body tour. He's going up there, stuck stuck in bodies. (laughs) Where is he? Playing in here. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. yeah right mate well um you know we've been talking for a good hour and you know five minutes now and it's been absolutely incredible to speak amazing to you. and uh generally for you know the last couple of questions we don't want to tie up too much of your time i'm sure you got plenty of stuff to do today uh, it's only early there what's seven uh, seven thirty in the morning in new york Damn. nice and yeah, early so that's okay yeah the whole the whole day ahead of me now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nice. So, mate, uh, yeah, two questions we normally run out with uh, all our guests. Um, first question is, you know, uh, you've you've had quite an inspiring life and motivating life. Can you give any uh, any inspiration to you know, or any words for advice to people about you know wanting to complete their goals or you know, like you 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 basically chose you want to be Delta and guess what, you became Delta. You know, so you you seem like one of those people that put their mind to it and you do it. So what type of advice can you put out there to people? It's it's interesting because it all comes down to this very simple thing. And I get kids that hit me up on social media all day and they ask about what should I do to prepare or, you know, what what can I do or how am I successful at whatever? And it really comes down to don't quit. Like that's really it's what it comes down to. It, 
if you take if you mentally take yourself out of it, then then of course you're never going to achieve what you want to do. Um, I didn't like when I joined the military and thinking like I'm going to be Delta Force. Like you can't get there unless you're a great ranger. Yeah. Right. Like you got to be one of the best rangers just to get there. So all of a sudden, my goal shifted from okay, well, it's not it's not about being a Delta at this point. It's about being the best I can be right now. Yeah. And so I live my life very day to day. I, I try not to get too far ahead because I feel like as life presents itself and life loves to throw curveballs at <laughs> you, like if you are too focused and fixated on something or a goal, that you'll make the wrong decisions just to try and get yourself to the goal. And sometimes you just have to look at where you are today and do the thing you need to do to get through today and be the best you can be today. You know, I also like, I like to think that I'm just a good human being. Like I'm good to animals. I'm good to people. I'm just, I try and be positive. And, uh, but ultimately it, it all comes down to don't quit. Whatever yeah. your goal is, you yeah. know, I want to do this or I want to do that. Uh, it doesn't matter if, if, as long as you're trying and maybe, maybe you end up in a different capacity, but you know, don't ever take yourself out of it. That's, that's one of the things that blew me away in the Rangers was just seeing the number of dudes that just quit, you know, you're on. Like, I thought you wanted to do this, you know, clearly you didn't because you wouldn't quit if you really did, you know, that's a hundred percent correct. That is, yeah, that's, that's pretty, pretty, uh, inspiring. And, and you know, and it's not even just that the whole the whole podcast itself and your life in general, mates, and it's inspired me as well. Like I, I'm thinking about things, what I'm, I can do now. Like, what can I do? I'm not going to quit. I, I'm, I'm just a regular. I'm just I'm just a regular idiot. You know? <laughs> but you, I, I sort of look back at my, my life now, and you look at your life. I'm so I'm not really comparing lives, but it's just like, man, you've you've done so much in so little time, and. Um, and like the military as well, what I sort of think of, you know, could I have done something better in my career in like the Navy? Could I have changed branches? Could I have changed to do this? But, you know, we're all here now and listen to your story. Um, thank you. Yeah, you're, you've, but, it's just a pleasure yeah, to, to just totally, of course, but just, just so you know, too, I have those feelings, you know, I have yeah. those feelings of like, I should have done more. You know, there's always somebody that has more deployments than you. There's always yeah. somebody that served longer or did more or did more combat operations or killed more bad guys or whatever it might be. And I think that's the drive that makes good people great, right? It's yeah. it's that you feel like you've never done enough. So yeah. even though I served for 20 years, I could I what what am I supposed to do? Just sit on my porch and talk about how I served for 20 years? Like, no, I'm continuing to give, I'm continuing to do something. And, you know, there, there are a lot of people out there that are struggling and have had a hard time yeah, since definitely. they've served. And, and a lot of it comes down to like a sense of purpose, right? Like when you're in the military or you're a doctor or yeah. whatever you do, you have this sense of purpose. It could be being the bellman at a hotel, you know, it could be anything, but when you lose that or it's taken away from you or you stop doing it, you lose your identity because this thing that you did for so long, right, is now you're not you're not that anymore. I'm not a Delta Force guy anymore. I'm Brad, you know, that plays <laughs> guitar and, and does does fun shit and things like that. <laughs> but I recognize that like 
I don't feel that sense of purpose the way that I did when I served. So how can I recreate that sense of purpose? And by taking, you know, music royalties and giving those to charitable organizations that help guys that are struggling and things yeah. like that, I'm continuing to give by designing new gear and helping design new stuff that's getting out there. Like I'm continuing to give. And that to me is, is the best way to feel that sense of purpose. And that's really why I started the whole band thing and put myself out there. It wasn't to say, look at me, you know, this is the Brad show or I want to be famous or anything like that. It's not that at all. It's I'm trying to show guys that are struggling if I can do this based on the shit that I lived through and everything else, if I can do this and find a, a healthy and creative and positive outlet, then anybody can do it. You guys are doing a great thing, right? You guys are giving people like me a platform, yeah. you know, to get the word out. You're doing something great, you know, and contributing back too. And likewise, so, Brad, you know, you're, you're helping us. Um, you're helping Matt and I out do our thing. And the same thing, Matt and I, obviously, coming from the ADF, you're at work, you do a purpose, it could be a shit job, and when you leave, when we spoke about it before, Mm. like, you come home and you feel lost because you're so used to being, like, doing something, you get told when to eat, what to wear, et cetera, et cetera. Then Matt come up to me with this idea for this uh, podcast, and at first I was like, okay, maybe, Uh, and then we jumped into it, and... Mate, it, every day Matt and I are chatting to each other. To, oh, we, I've just found this guy, you know, he's bloody keen, and it gives us a purpose. And then blokes I haven't spoken to for years in like the defence force are just messaging me out of the blue. Hey, Cordo, mate, that was a hectic podcast. This bloke's badass, yada yada. And it's the same as Matt. It's yeah. So yeah. our 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 purpose now in life is it sounds stupid, is to have people to listen listen to our voices again in like a weird way. But, yeah. Um, Give motivation yeah. for people. Yeah. You know, and it has. It's given a few. We've, we've, uh, you know, here in Australia, mate. We've obviously, same as the US, you'd have troubles with uh, veteran suicide. It's massive yeah. in Australia, and, and the Australian government now has just passed a royal commission, which basically, you know, forces the government now to, you know, make changes and act on it. So, which is, which is a good thing. So, Change. you know, and you know, it's great having people like you on, and you know, we've had some past guests as well, and we've got you know plenty more future guests that are going to give us that motivation, and it's just it's another angle to help our veterans, you know, and that's that's what that's our main yeah. purpose as well. So, mate, again, appreciate you coming on. But uh, final last question, I suppose. Well, I guess you know it's you've already answered it. You know, we've our last question is generally, you know, what do you see for the future, and you know, I guess it's music. So, you know, what I yeah, want to see is. You know, definitely continuing that. And, you know, my goal is to spread the word, you know, so that a number of things can happen. Obviously, we want our music to be successful and we we would love for our band to take off. But it, it's really about helping spread the word of the charitable organizations that we're contributing to. And to say these, you know, I, I didn't want to, and kind of similar to you guys, I didn't want to start another like 501-3C, you know, dot org yeah uh, foundation you know there's so much good stuff out there i didn't want to start something else and i also didn't want to turn it into give me money right like you don't have to give me money all you got to do is buy a song you buy a song on itunes and a hundred percent of that is going to you know these two organizations that we contribute to yeah um you know that's something where i i i hate putting money out there you know People ask, how can they contribute? How can they help out buying merchandise? That's that's something that helps us like recoup costs. And it doesn't even come close to recouping costs on yeah. recording albums. 
like not even close. Um, but you know, if people want to help and help the band and, you know, help us be able to pay for hotel and all that kind of shit, you know, buy merchandise. Do you ship uh, internationally? The two charitable, the two charitable organizations, I, I got to at least mention them. Yeah, yeah. The two charitable organizations that we're contributing to right now. Um, one of them is super near and dear to me. It's called Warrior's Heart. And they've got a warriorsheart.org is their website. But it's a physical place. And it was it was stood up uh, by a, a former mate of mine, a former Delta Force mate of mine named Tom Spooner. And it's a physical place that helps people that are struggling with PTSD. You could be an EMT, you could be a soldier, you could be a police, you could be. So it's not just a veteran thing. And I, I wanted to make sure that the band didn't just represent, you know, just veterans, just yeah. soft, just the, you know, just the Rangers or whomever it's, it's everybody, you know, and people contribute and do things. Doctors, you know, obviously probably have PTSD, of course, yeah. you know, and it's a physical place. They help guys get clean because generally PTSD isn't just something that, you know, isn't wrapped around a whole bunch of other stuff, whether it's substance abuse or alcohol abuse, they help get people cleaned up and then they use art in whatever form as a form of therapy. So it could be sculpting, it could be music, it could be poetry, writing, painting, anything. And, and they help people kind of get some of those negative things out in a medium, again, that's healthy, yeah. positive and creative. And, uh, I absolutely love that. And the, the other is uh, Marine Raider Foundation, which is, uh, you know, for MARSOC folks. And it's a, it, an organization that helps families of the fallen MARSOC Raiders. So, you know, if a guy is lost in training or in combat and the family needs to get their hotel paid for, they need to travel across the country and they don't have the means to do that. It helps them out directly. Oh, yeah, right. a lot. That. That's Those awesome. are the two that we're contributing to right now. We may for album two, we may switch that up, but really, it's not even about our monetary contributions to them because we're not raising millions of dollars. Yeah, you know, uh, music sales and streaming, you know, definitely changes the demographic of how lucrative you know selling music is. It's more about the awareness and just bringing awareness to people that oh hey. I heard him talk about this. That's a cool thing, you know, and and helping them, you know, them get a little promotion too. Happy yeah. days. Well, uh, Matt and I will That's be awesome. sure to tag them in our posts on uh, Insta and Facebook. Yeah, we, and uh, uh, we'll, we'll definitely purchase some songs. Uh, I'll, I'll buy I'll buy everything you've merch. got. And merch as well. Yeah, yeah. Do, you, do you ship overseas? Because if you do, we'll, we'll yeah. be buying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, mate. You'll be getting an order in uh, shortly. Bang bang pork. Right. <laughs> Not too easy. Well, again, mate, it's uh, we're, yeah. yeah, super appreciative of you coming on and give me your time. You know, one of those things too, like you've you you've, you're fairly well known, and you know, you gave us the space and time. You know, your time, which is which is amazing, mate. And you're you're a humble human being. Like it's it's amazing, mate. You know, your life, the the life you've lived, and you know how you are now. It's 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 inspiring. It's it's awesome, mate. Yeah. It's awesome. Really appreciate I, it. I have the I have this thing where. I don't care if I reach one person, you know, to me, reaching that one person that needs to be reached is far more valuable. You know, that's worth an hour and a half of my time. That's worth an hour of my time. That's awesome. And uh, I kind of approach it like that. I don't, I'm not looking to be on Joe Rogan. You know, if I get on Joe Rogan, great, you know, but exactly. I'll, I'll do anything, you know, talk to anybody, uh, that kind of thing. The only thing I don't really do is, you know, people that direct message me and, 
they're in a bad way. I just try and point them in the right direction. Yeah. You know, I'm not, I'm not a therapist okay. and I've had people that will reach out and, you know, Hey, I'm thinking about, you know, doing something and yeah, like, yeah, I'm yeah. not a trained professional. Yeah. I, don't know, yeah. I don't know how to deal with that. Yeah, I'm, right. I'm just trying to say, I'm being, you know, an example, right. If you want an example of someone that you can do something and try and give back and do all that stuff, you know, that's, that's why I'm here. Awesome, man. Awesome. But I appreciate you guys having us. And like I said, it's an awesome thing that you guys are doing and getting uh, people like me and their voices out there to, to folks in your country and, and all over the world, man. So Happy thank days. you. No, appreciate it, man. Brad Thomas, thanks for your time, brother. Thank you very much. All right. Wait, wait, wait. Now, quickly, just before you go, I want to tell you about Three Zeros Coffee. Now, as you know, I like my coffee how I like my men, long and black. <laughs> However, lately, I've moved into the cold brews. I'm loving it, obviously, because the weather here in Australia at the moment is quite hot. So what I've been doing is using the seasoned campaigner pour-over filter bags, literally rip open the packet, put the filter bag over my coffee mug, a few ice cubes, pour in some hot water, let it cool down, add a sugar or two just to make it sweet, and I fucking love them. Honestly, you get the kick that you need out of the caffeine, and the taste is great. So if you want to get yourself a supply of coffee, head over to 30scoffee.com.au. From there, you can choose whatever you want. You've got the beans, you've got the pour-over filter bags, got some merchandise. And just to let you know that a percentage of their sales is forwarded to organizations that support first responders. So while you're getting your coffee, you're doing a good deed by getting some of this money to the first responders and where it needs to go. While you're there, don't forget to use the discount code 3ZLIMITS. Now look in our bio, you see that discount code, use it get your discounts. So again, jump onto 30scoffee.com.au and grab yourself a supply.